We bless you in every way in the name of Jesus. Excited? The Lord say with me, the Lord Jesus has something for me today. And he has something for our streaming audience as well. I want to encourage you all to share the stream. Let some other people grow and let some other people receive from the Lord. And so we're in John chapter 6. We're going to take another section of John chapter 6 and break it down. So I'm going to read the passage. I'll give you a little bit of a recap. And then we'll keep going with, um, with where we are. So in verse uh, 25, it says, of John chapter 6, it says, Some of the people therefore said, Is this not the man whom they are seeking to kill? And, why he, and he is here speaking openly, and they say nothing to him. So Jesus is speaking in the temple, and the religious leaders are, spe- are, are watching him. So this is what they're referring to. Can it be that they authorize him and recognize him as the Christ? But we know where this man comes from. And when the Christ appears, no one knows where he will be from. And so Jesus, as he proclaimed in the temple, said to them, You know me, and you know where I come from, but I have not come of my own accord. I have been sent, and the one who has sent me is true. This one you do not know. I know him, and I come forth from him, for he has sent me. And so they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him, because his hour had not yet come. Yet many of the people began to believe in him, saying, When the Christ appears, will will he do any more signs than this man? And so the Pharisees, seeing this and hearing this, Told, arranged for offers, heard the crowd muttering these things. They sent officers to arrest Jesus. But Jesus said to them, I will be with you a little longer, and then I will, and then I will going to the one who sent me. You will seek me, and you will not find me. For where I go, you cannot come. Then the Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not be able to follow him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What does he mean by saying, you will seek me and find me, and where I am, you cannot come? Jesus is at a feast called Tabernacles. So just to kind of frame this for you uh, in in the culture. So this is important for some of you that that are kind of new to the Bible. And this is my job, is to try to help you understand and connect. So God chose a people through Abraham. He built this nation called Israel. And in this nation, he gave ordinances He gave directions, he entrusted his word to them, and he prescribed to them a series of feasts that they were to participate in throughout the year. He gave them seven feasts, and of these seven feasts, each one of these feasts told a story. And these feasts were telling, sometimes it was a story of remembrance, but it was always telling a prophetic story of what would come. And so he gave them, for instance, this this is the Feast of Tabernacles, but he gave them the Feast of Passover. The Feast of Passover was to commemorate Egypt coming out, or Israel coming out of Egypt by the Passover lamb, right? Right, anybody know what I'm talking about? Charlton Heston in the the Ten Commandments, you know what I'm talking about? So they were in in Egypt, and God brought them out by the blood of the lamb, right? And he brought them out by blood and water, and he delivered them from bondage, types and shadows, but it was also a foretelling of the true Lamb of God, meaning Jesus, who would come and give his life to bring us out of a greater bondage by blood and by water, right? And so so these feasts were oftentimes historical, but they were also foretelling. God made an appointment, so they were Moeds and Mikra. This is the Hebrew words for them. In the book of Leviticus, he calls the feasts Moed, and he calls them Mikra. They're rehearsals with an appointment. And so the feasts required participation, so they were to be rehearsal. So all of these feasts, it's, you think Christianity is not, a, is, is not a spectator sport. They had to participate. They all had to take a lamb. They had to take the lamb. They had to kill the lamb. They, they had to take it to the priest and have it killed. But they had to do all of these different rituals pertaining to not just the care of the lamb at Passover, but they had to do the, the Seder, which is a, um, the Seder was a dinner with a story. So there was a story dinner that they would host. That was Passover, unleavened bread, rehearsals. Uh, Pentecost is another one. They would go and participate, and they would all stand out there, and they would sing songs while the priests moved towards the temple with palm fronds doing this, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. The priests would move towards the temple, bringing the first fruit, the sheath, bringing the barley harvest, and they would push down these palm fronds, creating a rushing wind going through the temple. That's how they participated and rehearsed for Pentecost. Well, what do you all know? When the day of Pentecost came, Jesus fulfilled that. He sent the Holy Spirit with what? A rushing wind? 
and with tongues of fire. So it was a prophetic fulfillment. And so four of these feasts have been, for, have been prophetically fulfilled. There are three feasts that haven't been fulfilled. Tabernacles is one of them. And so tabernacles is, is another one of these feasts. And it's commemorative. They, it would basically be a national camping trip. Jody, I think you'd be right at home. Jody loves to camp, right? It's a national camping trip. They would be camping for a week. This is the only celebration in all of the, they were allowed to do different things in different feasts, but at the Feast of Tabernacles, they weren't allowed to cry. They weren't allowed to think about their sorrows. They weren't allowed to think about their problems. It was just celebrate and be happy. Everybody share with their neighbor. Everybody help each other out. You're all going to live in tents, and we're going to have a party with Jesus. And so this was the Feast of Tabernacles. They would all go, and they would camp. This was a memorial of when Israel came out of Egypt, and they dwelt in tents traveling through the desert until they came to the Promised Land. So it was to remember that, but it's also a foretelling of the book of Revelation when the tabernacle of God will be with men. Right? And there will be no more sorrow, and there will be no more tears, and he will wipe away every tear from their eye, and there will be no more death. So it's telling us of a prophetic time, not only of what has happened, that's what this feast was for, but it was foretelling what God will do in the future. How many knows if Jesus has fulfilled four, you think he's going to miss the next three? Do you? I don't think so. If he did four on the money, on the point, on the day, at the hour, at the right time, exactly arranged history itself to fulfill those feasts, he's going to do the same thing for the last three that aren't fulfilled. Three of the feasts were required. This is one of the feasts where all of the males were required to attend. Women could come, of course, but they were not required because oftentimes the women were taking care of children. Right? Anybody with small children knew exactly what I'm talking about. You're like, ah, we had our grandson this morning. Probably took me an extra 20 minutes just to get out of the house. You know what I mean? <laughs> anyway, he talked me into driving the Jeep, so I have a Jeep. So he's talking me into, like, old Jeep, and he's like, I want to ride in a Jeep, Grampy. I want to ride in a Jeep. So whatever that boy wants is what that boy gets. So we rode in the Jeep. He's like, I need my sunglasses. So he's got his sunglasses on there. Yeah, so anyway, so this is what's going on. So Jesus is at this feast. It was required for the Jewish males to be at Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. God wanted a witness. He's going to do something on these days, and he wanted the families to participate. He wanted everybody to be a part of it, right? It's not spectator. We're all a part of this. They were a part of it. They were to witness it, and God was going to show up and do something amazing. And so here at the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus comes. He comes in the middle of the week. He comes in the middle of the week because the Jewish leaders were looking for him. They, were looking, they knew he was from Galilee, so basically what was going on is all the pilgrims would be coming down to the feast. Jewish leaders wanted to kill this guy. They wanted to kill Jesus, right? So they're looking. Where's, the, where's all the caravans from Galilee? They could tell by their accent. So they're looking for the country folk, right? All the y'alls. Hey, y'all. You know, oh, those are the Galileans or the Hialeans. That's what we should call them. <laughs> Right? Those are the people from Miami. The Cubans from Miami are from Hialeah. You know, you're from Hialeah, aren't you? Right? Because they have a certain dialect. So the Hialeans, they were looking for the Hialeans coming down from Galilee. And then they were looking among them for Jesus. They, but Jesus didn't come with them. He went by another way. He comes in the middle of the week. He's there. He shows up at the feast. And he goes immediately to the temple, sits down, and starts to teach them. This is what we talked a little bit about last week. Jesus is a teacher. And you're designed to be taught. You're designed to be instructed. So the first thing Jesus does is instruct and teach us because we need to learn. We're vessels. We learn through Logos word, right? We learn through the reading and the writing of the word. We learn through didactic teaching, which is what I'm doing, to stand before and instruct. That's didactic. We learn through revelation when something becomes revealed to you. To, you know, it's revelation by the Spirit. Anybody ever read the word of God and something just popped out at you? You, you know what I'm talking about? That's revelation. So we learn by revelation, the revealed rhema is the word, the rhema word of God. We learn by the prophe, this is another way that we learn, the prophe or the prophetic word of God. So what is that? Those are the things that are spoken forth prophetically in our lives, things that God prophetically can speak to you by his spirit, and the things that are prophetically spoken to you from among God's people. God does that. Anybody ever had a word from God, a prophetic word, right? We're all in on prophetic around here, so, you know, we do it right. You know, we're trying to keep it in-house and, or in, in, in point and on point. And so this is how we learn. We learn from these things. We learn by being instructed in these ways. So Jesus is having a public gathering, right? Big debate, even among COVID. Should the church gather publicly? The church always gathered publicly. Jesus didn't start a house movement. He started a public movement, right? It was always public, always, 
in the temple courts. That's the first place he goes. He goes to the most public place he can possibly go. He goes to the focal point of the city and sits down and starts to teach them. It's a public gathering in the temple. He waits until the city is full. The reason he waits till the city is full is because the, the, the Jewish leaders were trying to find him privately to arrest him and kill him. And he's not going to give him that chance. What's going on up until this point, so this is what's going on with Jesus, is he's been going down this path of rejection. right? The sojourning, the uh, apostolic God, the sent one comes to us, the loving God comes to us as a redeemer, to build a bridge, to welcome us back, to summon us back, to give us a way home, and all he faces is rejection. From this point on in John's gospel, that's about all he's going to get, is rejection. Up until this point, we've seen just in the things that we've learned, he was rejected by his fans. Jesus had a lot of fans. Everybody's cheering him on. Yay, Jesus. You're amazing, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. You're awesome. You're the fish and chips guy. You're the guy who always dazzles us with a healing show. You're amazing. And then he told them the cost of being a disciple, and they all left. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. What? You mean, this isn't all about me? Are you kidding me? And they all left him. And so he was rejected by his fans. He was rejected by his brothers in the last chapter. The Bible says his brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus had other brothers. Why? He's born of a virgin, right? We understand this? Say, this is hard for people sometimes if we've got to clarify. Jesus was born of a virgin, but Mary was married to Joseph, and they had other children, right? You understand that? So they're Jesus' half-brothers. So she was the biological mother of Jesus, but he was born of heaven. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. He was, so you get the picture? Two of his brothers wrote books within the Gospels. They didn't believe in the beginning, but they did. So it's possible to have a household of faith and, and raise unbelievers. Yeah? Say, so we need to get Jesus in the home. Jesus is in this home, and they still don't believe. You know what I'm saying? So it is possible to bring faith into a household and people around that household not believe. They eventually believed. James believed. Jude believed because we have the book of James and we have the book of Jude. Both of those were Jesus' half-brothers that wrote. The book of James is one of Jesus' half-brothers. The book of Jude was written by Jesus' half-brother. The James of the Bible is not the James of James and John. James was killed immediately. Right? James was the first brother they killed. Right? So it's crazy. They killed him with a sword. They killed James off the rip. Of all the disciples, they thought the most dangerous. They thought James, the brother of John, was the most dangerous. Go figure, because they killed him. They threw Peter in prison, but they killed James. So go figure. But this James, the James of the book of James, is Jesus' half-brother. So he's following this path of rejection. He's rejected by his brothers, the leaders, the leaders that already rejected him. They had already said this guy's a blasphemer and a heretic. He's rejected by the people. Even in the last a few verses up, they call him it. They say, you got a demon, dude. You're crazy. You know, he was already rejected there. And this, this rejection was going to increase and escalate. And everybody say, it was by design. Yeah. He came to, to summon those who would hear him, summon those people who would be willing to see past themselves. We're a narcissistic people. We worship ourselves. What's in it for me? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? It's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. This is probably the biggest dysfunction of our lives is when we think it's all about us. It's not about us. It's about him. In him we live, move, and have our being. And this is the glitch of the unbeliever, and this is the glitch of the Christian. The Christian, oftentimes, we've been given great and precious promises. We've been given an inheritance. We've been given a flow and access to a river, access to realms. We've been given access to so many things, but we're so narcissistic in our approach. We honor ourselves before we honor him. And God, that's actually all through the Old Testament. God is rebuking his people through the prophets because they're calling out saying, why don't you help me, God? Why don't you help me? Why can't you see me, God? You see it repeatedly, the people calling out to the Lord, where are you? And the Lord is correction to them almost all the time is you honor yourselves and not me. You're contrary to what I ask. Say with me, honor creates access. Where there is no honor, there is no access. We honor the Lord, we access him. It's beautiful. Come to worship, and you come to the worship, and you begin to honor God, and you begin to sing. You know what you're doing? You deny yourself. I don't feel like lifting my hands. Deny yourself. Lift your hands. I don't feel like singing the song. Deny yourself and sing the song. Deny yourself. Oh, it's not dignified. Of course not. Say, I don't, it's not my thing. I always tell people it's Jesus' thing. Begin to honor God. Begin to worship the Lord. Just let those hands stay up there. Just begin to praise him. Begin to sing. Feel that little tingle. Oof. 
Well, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. That's not enough for me. I want it all. (laughs) And you begin to access his presence. Why are you accessing his presence? Because you're honoring him. Honor creates access. It's not an issue of worship, technique, and style. It doesn't matter of technique. It's not a technique or some sort of machination that we go through. It's purely honor. Honor him in the morning. Honor him when you wake up, before your feet hit the door, floor. Oh, Lord, I honor you this day. Let this day be. Watch how your day changes when you honor. Watch the access and the connection you have when you honor. Right? Same thing with finances. That's another one. When you don't honor, oh, God doesn't provide for me. Do you honor him? Do you honor him? This one's hard. All these things are hard. They make us uncomfortable. I don't want to give. Well, well, then don't expect anything from the Lord. Right? I don't want to serve. Well, then don't expect anything from the Lord as you serve others. All of these things are necessary to our growth and to our development. We must honor the Lord. We honor him. Say with me. We honor the Lord, Lord. not on our terms, on his. Right? That's important. So Jesus never let the opinions of people stop him. What's the point here? Jesus is surrounded by rejection, surrounded by name-calling, surrounded by opposition of opinion everywhere he went. At home, his brothers are like, dude, Stop. Everybody's telling him what to do. When he goes on the road, Peter's going to tell him what to do. Oh, Lord, far be it from you. You shouldn't be doing that. Everybody around him was advising him, and everybody around him was giving some voice of rejection or hurting his feelings. So this is probably a message for, you know, our, our generation. We're all engrossed in our feelings, and if we get our feelings hurt, well, then we run in a corner and suck our thumb. Here's Jesus being rejected openly, and he didn't stop. How many times have you been rejected and you just quit? Right? How many times? Many times in your life. You feel rejected and you quit. You quit on the relationship. You quit on the job. You quit on your children. You quit on yourself. You quit on the circumstances. You quit on everything because you feel rejection. And you know why? You're human. But here's the deal. Jesus is trying to teach us something. If we'll look at the model and look at some of the currents underneath his life, you'll see something that was different with him. He didn't let rejection stop him. And he didn't let, say it with me, he didn't let rejection stop him. And he didn't let the opinions of people stop him. You understand that? Everybody's got an opinion. Hello? Post something, post, try to put yourself out there and try to post and see how many opinions you get. Oh, why are you wearing that? Oh, you look at, you know, everybody's got an opinion. Everybody's got, and none of them count. Because the only opinion that counts is Jesus' opinion. No other opinion counts. So he moves forward in the path of rejection. He always moved forward in the path of rejection and loss. Even at a setback, he got up and kept going. What we do is we build a camp, right? We build camp of camp pity party. That's what we do, right? How do you know? Because I've been there. I've been there. I, you know, I can talk all day about sound sucking because I've You're like, oh, that poor pastor. Look, if you're going to do anything in life, you're going to get rejected. If you're going to do anything in life, you're going to fail. The ones that don't experience rejection and don't experience failure are the ones who do nothing. They do nothing. They never try because they're afraid of rejection. I experience rejection because I go for it. I experience loss because I go for it. Other people are bound by it. They never do anything because they're bound by the fear of rejection and they're bound by the fear of loss. (gasps) Too close? Too close? Just saying, right? So rejection and loss is part of the journey of success. Rejection and loss is part of the journey of the gospel, right? Or you can live your life in quiet desperation, bound by fear of what others will think of you. So you live a life of conformity, the opposite of, the opposite of fear, right? What is it? The opposite of courage is not fear. The opposite of courage is conformity. You live a life of conformity. Always afraid what people will think. Never, never wanting to become what God has put in your heart or what you would have in your to dream, whatever it may be. And so you're afraid of losing and you're afraid of rejection. You get it? Getting quiet. Getting quiet. Yeah, getting quiet. We don't pretend here. We just say it like it is. This is what we are. We're humans. We got to be, be real that we're human beings. And these are the things that all of us confront. All of us have to deal with this stuff. All of us have to deal with the fear of rejection. All of us have to deal with the fear of loss. You can be bound by it or you can move through it. You got me? Say it with me. I can be bound. I'm going to get this in you. I can be bound by rejection and loss. 
or I can move through it. The choice is mine. The world will not make me choose. Jesus will not make me choose. The only one who makes me choose is me. The Lord's not going to make you choose. You want to stay bound by rejection and loss? He might counsel you a few times and try to bring you past it. But if you choose to stay there, he will leave you there. He will leave you there. You understand? I tell you the people he partners most with is the people who want to move past rejection and loss and move forward. This kingdom doesn't operate. This kingdom operates now forward. Now forward. Now forward. You can't change the past. You can only heal it. You can't say, come on, I'm help you all out. I cannot change the past. I can only heal it, learn from it, and move on. The past will be my undertaker or will be my university. The choice is mine. The choice is yours. <laughs> you heal the past and move forward. You can't get stuck in a moment. So here's, here's how, did, how did Jesus move forward. Just going to give you a little sidebar here. Number one, he had a clear understanding of his identity. He tells us how he moves forward. He shows us. He knows who he is. They're trying to define him. They're trying to tell him who he is, trying to tell him what he is, trying to, t trying to define you know, and, and reject him and use whatever they have to turn him in their direction. And he refused because he knew who he was. Do you know who you are? Who are you, Elevate? You are sons and daughters of the highest. That's who you are. Until you get that identity, you're not moving forward because everything around you will begin to identify you. You're not what you do. You say, I'm a doctor. No, you're a son of the highest or a daughter of the highest. That's a doctor. You know, I'm a, I don't know, I'm a life coach. No, you're a son or a daughter that's a life coach. You're, the relationship as the Lord sees you precedes all other relationships. I'm a mother. You're a daughter of the highest. That's a mother. I'm a wife. You're a daughter of the highest. That's a wife. That is the preeminent relationship that exceeds all. So every decision, every filter flows through that identity. So as you parent your child, you're parenting them as a daughter of the highest. As you relate to your husband, you're relating to him as a daughter of the highest. In other words, you don't have issues with your identity. You know who you are, right? You know, and there's responsibility to that. So I'm a son of the highest. So there's a responsibility that's laid upon my life as a son of the highest. There are expectations. So it's my job to learn who I am, and it's my job to learn the expectations that are related to that identity. Are you with me? Okay. So this is how it happens. Jesus knew who he was. He wasn't fuzzy. They're all trying to define him. You're a prophet. He's a good man. He's got a demon. I mean, everybody around him was trying to define him. He would not, they, were, they didn't have any right to define him, and he wouldn't let them define him because he's like, I know who I am. I know who I am. Then he had a clear understanding of his purpose and his conviction. He knew what he came for, and he knew the direction that he was going in. This is the key to moving past rejection and losses. Knowing who you are, knowing what you're here to do or what you're trying to do or what the goals are in your life and having a clear intentional sense of that direction. Say it. That will pull me up and will pull me through. A clear sense of purpose and direction pulls you up and pulls you through. If you don't have that, you wonder why you're there because you don't have any clear sense of purpose. You don't have any clear sense of direction. That's why, you were, that's why you're stuck. You don't understand who you are and you don't understand where you're going or what you're supposed to do, and you don't understand where you're going. So you've got to realize, who are you, what am I supposed to be doing, and where am I supposed to be going? And you can play that out into any layer of your life. Who are you financially? What are, as a son and a daughter, where are, what are you supposed to be doing financially? What, are you, what is the direction you're supposed to be heading in? Who are you relationally? Who are you, I'm a son and a daughter and I'm married, so who am, what is the purpose of my existence as a son within this household? And what is the direction I'm supposed to be? This is how it pulls you out. And what ends up happening is that these naysayers, these rejectors, you can move through them. But if you don't define yourself if you don't allow the Lord to define you better than that, you don't define the direction and you don't define what you're doing and you don't define the direction, guess what? People will define it for you. You got me? Say, if I don't, say, if I don't let the Lord define me, others will define me. If I don't define the direction, others will define the direction. 
You don't have to worry about it. There's no voids in this life. The world is more than happy to define a direction for you. They'll tell you who you are, what you are, what you're supposed to be. They'll build a box for you. Jesus opens the box. Jesus releases freedom. The world builds cages, cages. Jesus lets you go free. Know who you are. Know what you're supposed to do. Know the direction you're going in and go for it. Go for it. That will move you past rejection and loss. So Jesus says, I know who I am. I know what I'm trying to do. I know the destination I am going towards. Say it with me. I can live a life by default, or I can live a life by design. Which one's better? Exactly. Default is whatever happens, happens. Que sera, sera. Whatever will be, will be. That's life by default. Life by design is this is who I am, this is what I'm doing, these are the goals that I have, and that is the direction I'm heading in. And if I get set back, I'm going to come back. I'm going to keep moving the timeline until I achieve the goal that is set in front of me. This is what's going on here. I'm not going to let the circumstances of life define me. I'm not going to allow that. That's life by default. Life by design is its intention. You see it with Jesus. You see it with Paul. Right? None of these things move me. What, what a statement. It's like I got all this nonsense around me, but nothing moves me. The only thing that moves me is that I would be faithful to the path that is set before me. And I will not move off of that until I've achieved it. It's right there. So this is what happens to us in our lives is we get beat up and banged around because we're allowing life to leave us by default. I was sharing a story with my wife this week about people leaving, living lives. And it's like ships leaving the harbor. Ships leave the harbor without a captain. Ships leave the harbor. Some of you have the engine going. Some of you don't. Some of you have no destination. You don't even know what's on board. You'd have no manifest. So a ship's captain that's going to make port. Anybody want to make port? I'm not talking about heaven. Let's just talk about a goal or like some objective or some purpose for your life, right? A ship, a captain, has a manifest. He understands what's on his ship. He understands who he is, you know, like just put it into personal context, understands his strengths, understands his weaknesses, understands what he's got to work on, understands what he doesn't need to work on, but he has a manifest. He knows where he's going. He has a heading. He knows where he's going. This is heading, right? They say the ship has integrity, which means there's no leaks, right? It's not a leaky ship. So you, you understand what you are, you have a direction, you have a heading, and then you power towards that heading. And then what will happen? 90% of the journey, that destination, you will not be able to see it. It will be out of sight, right? Anybody been on a cruise? We can all relate to this, right? It takes a while before you see port, right? Sometimes, like one time we went on a cruise, last cruise we went on, we woke up and we were in port, right? We didn't see the port all day. We didn't see the port all night. And we woke up and we're in port. Now, how do we get in port? Because the captain knew the manifest, knew the, de knew the destination, and he powered the ship there. If we don't do that with our lives, what ends up happening is we're just drifting through sea, yeah? And I was telling her, like, the odds of a ship just blowing into harbor on its own is very, very small. It can happen, but it's very small. So when you don't have a goal, an objective, and you don't understand these steps, and you just kind of set out into the wide ocean, life will beat you up, and the waves will batter you. The waves batter that ocean liner, but that ocean liner is powered in a direction, and it can cut through the waves. The person that doesn't know where it's going, it's just the waves are just completely battering it. And so this is how you become, this is how you move through disappointment. This is how you move through rejection. This is how you move through loss. We're empathetic. We're a feeler culture. America has become a feeler culture. We're just all about feeler, 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 marshmallow, feeler, feeler, feeler. Say it hurt. Yeah, it hurt. Move on. It hurt. No one's saying it didn't hurt. It did hurt. It's time to move on, though. Or not. Or you can live there for the next five years. The one thing you will do is the longer you live there, the more you're going to regret living there. Because life, life, time is a precious commodity, Christian. It's a precious commodity. Some of you already know that. You're waking up and you're, on, you're heading into a new decade. And you're like, oh my gosh, time to change. It hurts. Understand, feelings are important. They are. They're important. Feelings are important. However, we have to deal with the pain, deal with the loss, get up and go again. Get up and go again. Find your identity, find the purpose, find the direction, and go again. That's how we move forward. That's how Jesus is able to do it. Man, the guy's surrounded by rejection, surrounded by opinion, and he's still speaking publicly. Imagine that. Could you speak publicly if everywhere you went, people were calling you a demon? 
Could you speak publicly if everywhere you went, people called you a bastard or an illegitimate child? So they would call him. We know who our father is. You don't even know who your father is. That's the things that they would say. And they would do it publicly. They'd be jeering him. They're jeering him here. They start jeering him. Would you do that? Could you speak publicly if everybody was jeering you? Literally everywhere you went. Could you speak publicly having after served thousands of people and then calling them to a commitment? They all leave. Could you do that? That's what he did. He fed 5,000. He healed their sick. He binded, he bound their wounds. He gave everything. He exhausted himself for them. And then they just packed up and left at the first sign of commitment. Can I get a witness here? Some of you are like, that sounds like my last relationship. Yeah, exactly. Right? But he moved on. He moved forward. So it's key that we understand this or we get lost. I share this with one of the guys that I work with sometimes, and I tell him, and I've said it a couple times here, but I kind of did a little more extensively with him, is, and he starts asking me, like, how this, this just things work. And I tell him, listen, if the devil can't stop you, he'll burn your clock. He'll lose rights of delay, rights of denial. He'll use rights against you to withhold you if he has them. But if he doesn't have them, he'll burn your clock. He'll run your clock out. You know, that's how they win games, right? They run the clock out. He'll stop you. He'll get you stuck in a moment, and you'll spend 10 years in that moment, and your clock will burn. And you'll burn the most precious resource you have is time. Time. You can't get it back. You can get money back. Anybody lost money? No? Yeah? Okay. Thank you. Have you earned it back? Have you recovered? You got money back, right? Or you're in the process. We've lost money and gained money. That's, that's the way it is, right? We lose and gain. Well, you can't lose time and get time back. Right? What God does is he restores to you as wasted years, like I quoted earlier, and he'll give you back an accelerated amount of time. He'll give you back that time. He'll give it back to you. However, you got to come out of that season. That verse that I was quoting is all about seasons. You got to come out of a season. You got to be willing or stay there and lament and cry and play the violin for the next 10 years and nothing will change. Or you can rise to the level of your birth. You can ask God to do something with your life. Give me an assignment in this season. Give me a mandate in this season. Give me a purpose and give me a destiny. And you're not getting destiny first. I got news for you. He will not give you destiny until you fulfill assignments, until you fulfill mandates, until you fulfill purpose. Then you'll start moving towards destiny. So it's assignments. Lord, what do you ask of me in this season? What is my assignment? I'm your daughter. I'm your son. Give me an assignment. He'll give you one. That's for another day. Identity and purpose, it pulls you up and it pulls you through. So the people are confused. So you got this confusion going on. So here's Jesus teaching them, and they're all getting confused. You have two groups. So last week, you had a group of people. Jesus said, you want to kill me? And the group of people said, who wants to kill you? You're out of your mind. Then here you have the second group of people that are saying, is this not the one the priests want to kill? So what's going on here? Well, the people last week, the people that we talk about in the earlier part of the chapter, these are all of the pilgrims from around the nations, right? So they're coming to Jerusalem. They don't have a lot of connection with Jesus. They've heard of him, but they've not really seen him. This might be their first contact with him. So they're just kind of coming. They're like the curiosity people. This group here, the Bible says that tell him about that this is the one that the priests want to kill. It says they are the people of Jerusalem. So they are not the pilgrims. They're the people who actually live in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of religious thought and religious um, spiritual development, everything. So they knew the temperature. They knew that the priests wanted this guy killed. They knew that the priests wanted, they, 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 they thought he was a blasphemer. And so they're saying all of that to him. They're saying, isn't this the one they're, they're, that they want to kill? Why are they letting him teach? So Jesus is teaching in the temple courts. So in their mind, Jesus is the, the, the priests are the ones who have authority over the temple courts. Little do they know, Jesus is the one who has authority over the temple courts. And so they, like, Jesus can do anything he wants. It's like, you're not, topping, you're not stopping me at all. And so that was the way it was. It says, can the authorities really believe that this is the Christ? And so here's another indication where people knew what Jesus was saying. They knew that he was claiming to be the Messiah. They knew that he was claiming to be the Savior of the world. They knew it. They were confused about it. They weren't really committed to it. They were unsure. The religious leaders were willful deniers. You had a lot of that. The people, people are saying, wait, and then they, so they start having this, this thing, and they're watching him teach and do all these things, and they're saying, is this the Messiah? Do the priests believe he's the Messiah? And they go, wait a second. We know this guy. Isn't his dad some blue-collar Joe? 
his dad's just the carpenter, right? Isn't that where he is? And he's like, he's marrying Joseph. Isn't that his family? Doesn't he come from the hood? Yeah, he does. He comes from the hood. He comes from Nazareth. So they, didn't do, they knew enough to, to, to bring them to a point of understanding, but they didn't, make them, they didn't know enough to bring them to a point of commitment. They didn't know. They're like, well, we know where this guy is. When the Messiah comes, will we really know where he's coming from? We know this guy. Where did they get that from? So what's happening here, so th this is what's amazing. And this is really an expectation, I think, that God puts upon the church because he expected these people to be taught. And if you look at the average person that confronts Jesus, they knew the word of God, which is insane. If we compare that to the way the church is today, you know, as far as what we actually know about Scripture and where we're at with Scripture. Right now, we're, so, we're very weak theologically. We're very weak from a development standpoint. Yet the people are the ones that are saying, when the Messiah comes, well, what are they quoting? They're quoting Malachi. Behold, the messenger shall come before me, and he will prepare the way. The Lord whom you will seek will suddenly appear in the temple. So they had this understanding that the Messiah was just going to show up. And then they had this understanding from Isaiah 53... Speaking of Jesus, oppression and judgment, he will be taken away, and of his generation. In other words, where he comes from, who will tell us? Where does he come from? That verse is actually talking about his eternity, that he's coming from eternity. But they took it to know, well, we won't know who he is, and we won't know where he's, we won't know where he's coming from. So they knew part of the verses, but then they didn't miss the other side of the verses, where it said that he would be the son of David. They missed the point where it said that he will be a legal heir to the throne of David. Jesus is the legal heir to the throne of David. His mother is Mary, a direct descendant of David the king, through, uh, took, through the son Nathan. Uh, Joseph, his father, is a direct descendant of David through Solomon. And so Jesus had the birthright through his mother, and he had the legal right through his father. Jesus unequivocally is king of the Jews. Jesus unequivocally had the right to David's throne. They just didn't do their research. They just let the opinions around them swirl. They let the opinions of the people around them swirl. They let other people do the thinking for them. So the religious leaders are confused. They see, the, and so the, the people are confused. So all the people are confused. They're saying, wait a second, this is the Messiah. No, 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 this isn't the Messiah. We know this guy. We know where he's from. And everybody's confused. And they're quoting these verses, and they're making reference to these verses. And guess what? Their teachers are right around them. And their teachers do nothing to help them. Nothing. This was Jesus' rebuke to them in the, last, in the last week. I was talking about how Jesus was correcting them. And he told them, he said, you don't honor me, number one, so he's telling them, he's like, look, here's your guys' problem. You show no honor for me. Number two, you don't help the people. You don't help them in any way. And, be, and all you do is honor yourselves. <laughs> and it's like, it's like the Oscars, right? The Hollywood award show. Everybody running around honoring each other. Oh, you were fantastic in that film, Brad. That was a world-changing movie. That was amazing. Dude, he's an actor. You know, and all they do is run around and make accolades to one another and lecture Lecture everybody else on what they're supposed to do while they run around giving accolades to one another. And that's what, that's what these people are, right? This is the Hollywood system right here in full play. So they're like, you know, they want to lecture everybody else on what they need to do, and then they want to do nothing but run around and honor themselves godlessly. And you know why they did that? Do you know why? We see it in our culture. Say it with me. Weak, Weak. confused, Weak. fearful, Weak. ignorant. And programmed people are easier to control. Weak, ignorant, programmed people are easier to control. Sound like anything going on in our world right now? Of course it is. It's absolutely true. And it's all for control. To direct the masses where they want the masses to go. And that's what these religious leaders are doing. They want them ignorant. They want them unknowing. They don't want them like that. They don't want them in knowledge. They're standing right there. They could have easily said, wait a second. You know, the, the, when the wise men came, they called for us. And they asked where the prophet was to be born. And he was to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. This is Jesus. The temple records, they had the temple records record his. The Jews were very good at keep, about keeping lineage, very good about keeping birth records. They could have easily said the temple records show 
that this one was born in Zion, that this one was born in the house of David. This one was born in the house of bread. He's from Bethlehem. They could have easily clarified that, but they didn't. They didn't because it wasn't to their advantage to clarify that. Why do they want to do that? <laughs> this is what's going on here. Say this, I am responsible to seek wisdom, understanding, and revelation from the Lord. So this again comes out to us, Christian. God calls us to be lions, and we are. He calls us to rise, 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 rise. He makes it available to us to rise, but he wants us to understand, and you'll see this again throughout the thread. You know, we teach churches of shiny, happy people. I'm all in on shiny, happy people. I love shiny, happy people. Shiny, happy people. I'm all in. I love it. Let's party. Let's celebrate. Let's go. But let's grow and learn. Can we grow and learn? Can we stop walking out with popsicle sticks and a gumball, you know, and a pinwheel? Woo, look what I got. You know, we're supposed to grow. Can we grow into a faith that actually overcomes fear? Can we grow into a faith that actually manifests itself with power? Can we do that? The Lord calls us to be accountable. We are accountable for knowledge. We're accountable for willful ignorance. And we're accountable for potential. Let's just say that. That's going to help some of you. It's going to help. We're going to wake everybody up here this morning. Say this with me. I'm accountable for knowledge. I will be accountable for any and all ways that I remain willfully ignorant and I will be accountable for my potential. Parable of the talents illustrates the potential piece clearly. When he rebukes the one who buried it, he said, you should have at least given it to the stewards that I might have interest. You not only failed to do something, you, you, you denied the potential of what I gave you. He held him accountable for the potential. He didn't just hold him accountable for the action and the fear. He held him accountable for, the, for, the, for the, the potential that he didn't bring forth from what the Lord gave. It's very important. He expected them to know. He expected them to know. He said, you discern the sun or discern the weather by the color of the sky. I've given you my word. You can't discern your visitation. You don't understand, right? Most of us, we take our barometer from CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, what on? Pick, your, pick, your, pick one. Pick one. It's all to herd the cattle, you know? We take, our, we take our marching orders from the culture. We are not of the culture. So long as we remain of the culture, we cannot manifest kingdom culture. You can't. You're, you're staggering. This is, again, I'll give you verses. The clearest one's Elijah. He said, you're staggering between two opinions. This is why you're losing, is because you stagger between two opinions. You think you can be this and do that and be this and by that. He's like, it doesn't work like that. <laughs> It doesn't work like that. Another story, another day. So Jesus proclaimed in the temple when he taught. And he says, you know me, and you know where I am from. But I have not come of my own accord. The one who has sent me is true. Him you do not know. I know, I know the one and I, whom, from whom I come, and I know the one who has sent me. And he said, him you don't know. So we teach this. This is interesting. This is interesting. Yeah, see if I can do this right. I'm going to try to do this right. We teach this like Jesus is pleading. You know me. You know where I'm from. Please listen to me. The problem is, is the Greek doesn't relay it that way. The Greek uses a word, and we pronounce this word, ekrazen, and it means to speak over. So they're all making the opinions, and you know what Jesus is saying? You know me? You know where I'm from? You know nothing. That's what he's saying. I do not come of my own accord. I come from the one who sent me, and the one who sent me is true. You define me by, my, by the place that you think I'm coming from. You define me by your opinions. You don't define me at all. That's what he's saying. It's not, please, hey, please, oh, please. Please listen to me. You know me. That's how we teach Jesus. He's a lion. He's a lion. They want to kill him. He's not pleading with them. He speaks right at them, and he indicts them, and then they go into a rage. These people are in a lather by the time he's done. He's not pleading with them. Oh, please, please, you know me. You know me. Don't do anything to me. It's like, you know me? You know where I'm from? That's what he's saying. Ekrazen. There's only one higher word in the Greek for ekrazen. So he's not pleading. He's speaking at them. Aroboa is the higher word. And it means to scream with all your might. 
And there's only one place where Jesus used it. Anybody want to guess where that one was? Take a guess. On the cross. He screamed, Tetelestai! He screamed with everything he had. Tetelestai, it is finished. He summoned every bit of strength he had, and he screamed. He roared. Who's your Jesus? Who's your Jesus? That's my Jesus. That's the Jesus of the Gospels. He roared. Psalm 28, the righteous are bold as what? Uh, bold as lions. We go here, kitty, kitty. Kitty, kitty, kitty. Kitty, 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 kitty. Jesus is like, Mew, you know me. It's like, you don't define me. You don't define me. That, why does that relate to you? You're not defined by the neighborhood you come from. They tried to define him by Nazareth. Nazareth was the freaking hood, guys. It was the hood. The Bible calls it a place of hissing. It had been run over and ransacked so many times. You know, it's like Lebanon, just blown, bombed out. Nobody would even invest there anymore because there was so much conflict in that area. It was always a waste and it was a wasteland. And they're trying to define Jesus as a man from the hood. They're trying to define Jesus as common. Oh, yeah, isn't your dad the carpenter? Aren't you like the son of Blue Collar Joe? Oh, Mary, we all know about Mary. We all know about Mary, right? She's the one that got pregnant by a virgin. Oh, yeah, we all know about Mary. Jesus refuses, refuses to be defined in common terms. He will not be defined in common terms. You will not call him good. He corrects them every time. Why are you calling me good? He will not allow them to define him in common terms. You are sons and daughters of the highest. You should not allow your circumstances. You should not allow people, places, and things to define you in common terms. That is not who you are. You are not where you come from. You are who he says you are. Your inheritance flows from heaven, Christian. Your identity flows from heaven. And what's going to be very clear here is everybody's going to identify you. Your past wants to identify you. Your old neighborhood wants to identify you, right? Your school friends want to identify you. Your past life wants to identify you. And Jesus said, you will not define me. You will not. He ripped and screamed to the heavens, a realm-shattering cry. He likes a little shouting. Jesus likes shouting. He likes action. He likes participation. He shouts. He shouts. Bible says he rejoices over you with singing. He twirls in the air and he shouts over you. And here's how we are. Mm. We don't want to get too crazy. We don't want to disturb this. We're in the house of God, Pastor. Stop talking. Shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Sing to the Lord. Raise your hands in the congregation of saints. Hallels. Oh, you know. He halleled on the cross, man. His last breath was for you. It's done. Boom. Yeah? He's telling the devil, he's telling time, he's telling space, he's telling the angels, he's telling all of the realms, I finished it. It is irreversible. It cannot be reversed. It is done. The legal requirements of my law have been met by me, myself. Because none higher could do it, I did it myself. Anaboa. He doesn't let them define him. Stop letting people be what you are. Be who you are. Doesn't mean you're, you make your dysfunctional work on your dysfunction. We all a little weird and a little crazy, right? We all spill over the bank sometimes. That's okay, right? You're working on it. You're moving forward, but you don't have to stay as you are. You don't have to stay in that place. Who told you that? You don't have to be here from Nazareth. You don't have to wear that label. Who told you that? Who told you that? You don't have to wear stigma. Oh, you're the son of an illegitimate woman or a, you know, a harlot. You know? We don't know. 
The rumor was Mary was either raped by a Roman, which was very common, or she was having, she was just, you know, a woman that just, you know, kind of loved the one she was with. That was the rumor about Jesus. You don't have to wear that stigma. He wore it for you. You don't have to wear it. Teenage mother, his mother was 16. Hello, you don't think he wore that stigma? He wore that one too. But he wouldn't, he carried it, but he wouldn't define him. He took it, but he's like, you're not defining me by that. He's the sin bearer. He took it with him, but he wouldn't be defined by it. <laughs> Nobody like Jesus, Christian. Nobody. And they come to arrest him. They're like freaking out. Get the SWAT team. This dude's got to go. And Jesus sees them coming. And he says, you don't want me? Don't worry. I'm only going to be with you for a little while longer. Right? Am I inconveniencing you? Are you disturbed by my presence? Do my words bother you? Don't worry. You won't have to bear with me long. He says, I'm going. I'm going back to the one who sent me. And where I go, you cannot come. What the heck? That clearly means, I'm going to show you some right here. This is a clear, and he's going to make it even clearer in other passages, that heaven isn't for everyone. Heaven, we're not all, not all dogs go to heaven. Not everybody goes to heaven. These people were self-justified. They felt like they determined their own righteousness. There is one none righteous, no, not one. Jesus determines the righteousness. And the righteousness is done in an acknowledgement of the act that he performed. That we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that he alone is Lord. And he grants us forgiveness. He gives us spiritual power moving in love, which is grace. And he puts his abiding presence within us. And he calls us sons and daughters. Never to remove that label from you. He will never remove that label from you. But he is not equal with Buddha. He is not equal with Krishna. He is not equal with Gandhi. He is not equal with L. Ron Hubbard. And we need to stop playing like this is a game. It's not a game. Jesus is the one and only. No exceptions. And if people, yeah, exactly. Come on. There's no one like him. We're not on equal terms, Christian. You're the favorite of the highest. There again, the devil wants to suppress the knowledge from you. He is afraid of a Christian who knows who they are. He is afraid. He is terrified. So he tries to terrify you because in truth, he's terrified of you. You are image bearers. You were clothed in power from on high. The Bible says that the earth itself will awaken when the sons and daughters know who they are. All of creation groans for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. The creation itself will awaken when the sons and daughters know what they are. When the sons and daughters step into their rightful place, you'll see things change in your life. It's true. Come on. Where I go, you cannot come. God loves mankind. He came to us. He humbled himself beneath us to serve us, to love us, and to invite us home. People say if he loves us, then why is this going on? Man's condemned. So here's the thing. Man's condemned. So Jesus isn't sending anyone to hell. Your sins are sending you to hell. Your sin of denial of Christ is what sends you to hell. That's the sin of condemnation. There's one sin of condemnation, and it's that you're your own God. That is the sin of uncondemnation. We say, well, I don't think I'm my own God. I think Buddha's God. I think Allah's God. I don't think there is any God. No, you're saying you're defining God as you, you're defining God. Therefore, you're acting in the place of God. It's not God as you understand him to be. It's God as who he declares himself to be. It's the sin of submission. I am not God. You are. There is no other besides you. It is an oath of absolute fealty and love. It's the same men image of marriage. Ladies, is it okay if he marries you and then goes runs around with a few other women? Is that okay? It's getting quiet in here. You can be honest. No, is that okay? Is that a violation of the highest order? Of the highest, see, guys kind of, we kind of like, we kind of hedge on that. We're like, well, you know, men have this weird glitch within ourselves, you know, but women get that completely. They understand that level of commitment. They understand that that oath is an oath of fealty, devotion, and love. They understand it. It's a pledge of absolute loyalty. Come hell or high water, I am devoted to you. That's what Jesus expects. When we give our life to him, there is no other. You are the all in all. 
There is none higher. There is none before thee. There will be none after you. You are the everlasting. And you are my all in all. That's what it means. It's not just try Jesus. No, it's an absolute devoted surrender. <laughs> I can tell you stories. I used to lead people to Jesus. I used to be like the guy and be like, you know, oh, Kevin, this guy doesn't know Jesus. And I'd be like, whack. You know, it's like Jesus is your friend. I'm like, it's okay. You want to give your life to Jesus? <laughs> I'm like, you know, this is an all-in commitment because I'm an all-in kind of guy because Jesus is an all-in kind of God. He loves us. We think that love is doing what we say or giving us what we want. That's not true. Say it with me. I want to help you with this. I'm closing. Say it with me. Love in the Bible is to seek the highest good. So when God loves us, he is working towards your best. His love for you is unending. His love for you is unfailing. By day and by night, the Lord is seeking to love you. He will always, always, always work on your best. That's what he does. Oftentimes when we're asking him, though, we're asking him for something that is not in our best interest. So therefore, the Lord will not give you something that is not in your best interest. This is just one of the components. There's more. But I love that guy, Lord. I love him. I love that girl. She's not right for you, but I love her. I love her. She's not right for you. I love him. I love him. I want to be with him. He denies me. I don't care. I don't care. I'll lead him to you. I'll lead him to you. He's not going to, he doesn't, you get me? You with me? I'll tell you a quick one, then I'm going to say, I had a guy one time, and he's like, God doesn't love me. He had a guy come to me. This is years ago. He said, God doesn't love me. I said, why do you say that? He's like, I've been praying, I've been praying. And, um, you know, my friends, and my friends are coming down from Chicago, and they're going out on a boat, you know, and they're all going to go party in the Keys, you know, on a boat. And I don't have the money, so I've been believing God, you know, to give me the $1,000 or $1,200 so that I can go down. And he's like, and I haven't had the money, you know. So he's literally telling me that. So, so let me get this straight. You're asking the Lord to give you $1,200 so you can go and party and literally self-destruct and implode with your friends. And you're saying God doesn't love you because he doesn't give you the 1200 bucks and the guys. So anyway, it's oftentimes how we see it. It's not his nature. You have to understand that he gives you what is good for you. And he knows what is good for you. He give, wants to give you more than what you're seeing. And I continually experience this. I get so disappointed at the losses. And then I recover and I move forward only to realize that what I wanted is nothing compared to what he wanted to give me. And I had to lose this in order to discover that God had something greater. You understand? Sometimes we have to experience, yes, come on. He loves us. They were supposed to know him, they didn't. They were supposed to understand the eternal world, they didn't. They were supposed to know the prophetic, they didn't. They got angry at him because he was holding them accountable. This was the people who were supposed to know him. And he said, you don't know him. That was the worst thing you could say to a Pharisee. You don't know what you're talking about. That's all these guys did was walk around knowing what they talked about <laughs> and approving each other. These were like the ultimate know-it-alls. And Jesus is like, you know nothing, and you don't know the Father. And they're like, kill him. The rulers want him dead. They don't, they're hesitant. Why were the rulers hesitant to seize him? Well, let's just look at a couple things, and I'm closing. Jesus had cleared the temple. He blew the temple. You know, He literally cleared the temple, flipped over tables, cleared the temple. He raises the dead. He heals the sick. He sends demons to the abyss. This guy's got a lot of power, and they're like, so they're very hesitant on how they're going to approach him. And he tells them, where I go, you cannot come. Man is lost and condemned. Without Christ, we are lost in our sin. This is why Jesus is Savior. He's not condemner. He's saving us from a pre-existing condition that all of us are born with. He's the only one who can do it. No one else can. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes unto the Father but by me. We need a Savior, and Jesus is the one and only. So if you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus, today is your day. If you're watching my live stream and you've never given your life to Jesus, today is your day. We're going to say a prayer. We're going to say a prayer together. All you got to do is open up your heart, and Jesus will do it. The Bible says if you believe in your heart, if you will just believe it, not understand it, but just believe it, and you will put faith in that through the action step of your words. The Lord says, I will take you at your word, and I will forgive you. And I will come into you. And I will make my home in you. And I will abide with you. So we're going to pray. So just believe God. Let's pray together. Just go for it. Just say, dear Jesus, I believe that you are the Savior. And I need a Savior. I may not understand this, but I choose to believe it. 
So I open my heart to you, Jesus, and I ask you to come inside. I ask you to forgive me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to restore me, and I ask you to repurpose my life. All that I am, I give to you, and all that you are, I receive as mine. From this day forward, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, God loves you. We love you. We have a prayer team available for you if you all need prayer for anything at all. And then let me bless you one more time. I, mean, uh, I don't know what we got going on. Oh, we got something else. Anyway. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine down upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you in every way. And may he give you peace. And may you forever live within his favor in Jesus' name. Amen. God loves you. We love you. Have a great week.